In a poem by St. Teresa of Avila, she proclaims, I am not moved, my God, to love thee by the heaven thou hast promised me, nor am I moved by fear of hell to cease for that reason to offend thee. Thou art what moves me, Lord. It moves me to see thee nailed to a cross and scorned. St. Teresa of Avila's words were the highest expression of a disinterested love, for she loved our Lord ardently without any motivation by personal benefit. However, until we achieve that degree of sanctity, we need to be reminded of the pains of hell to move us along the path of holiness. That's why hearing about all the horrors in St. John Bosco's mystical dream of hell is a gift from God that we should appreciate and take advantage of. He didn't have to give us a glimpse of the afterlife, but revealed it to Don Bosco because he loves us. Listening to this entire dream should be done calmly and with complete confidence in God, but not forgetting that God is letting you hear this story so you can repent and suffer for your sins in this life rather than burn in the next. And so we begin our four-part series on Don Bosco's vision of hell. Buckle up. You're watching The Miracles and Prophecies of St. John Bosco, a project of America Needs Fatima. I'm your host, Matthew Miller. Don Bosco resumed narrating his dreams on Sunday night, May 3, 1868, the feast of St. Joseph's patronage. He mounted the podium and said, I have another dream to tell you, which, in a way, completes the ones I told you last Thursday and Friday, and they left me totally exhausted. Call them dreams, call them anything you wish, but as you know, on the night of April 17th, a frightening toad seemed ready to swallow me alive. When it disappeared, a voice said to me, Why don't you tell them? I turned and saw a distinguished person standing next to my bed. Feeling reproached by my silence, I asked, What should I tell our boys? Tell them what you saw and heard in your latest dreams, and things you will know which will be revealed to you tomorrow night. Then he vanished. I spent the entire next day concerned about the miserable night in store for me. When evening came, unwilling to go to bed, I sat at my desk, leafing through books until midnight. I was horrified at the mere thought of having more nightmares. Finally, with great effort, I went to bed. Afraid of going to sleep, and starting to dream immediately, I set my pillow upright against the headboard and practically sat up but I was so exhausted that I soon fell asleep. The same person from the night before immediately appeared. Don Bosco often called him the man with the cap, or Beretta. Get up and follow me, he commanded. For heaven's sake, I protested. Leave me alone, I'm exhausted. A toothache has tormented me for many days, and I need to rest. I've had awful nightmares that have completely worn me out. So I said, because this person's apparition always brought me trouble. He answered, Get up. You have no time to waste. I got up and followed him, asking, Where are you taking me? Come and you'll see. He led me to a vast, lifeless desert without a soul, tree, or brook. Its yellow and dried-up vegetation offered a sad spectacle. 
I had no idea where I was or what I had to do. I even lost sight of my guide for a moment and feared that I was lost. Father Rua, Father Francesia, and the others were out of sight. I sighed in relief when I finally saw my friend coming toward me. Where am I? I asked. Come with me and you'll see. All right. I followed him in silence, but after a long and dismal walk, I began to worry whether I would ever manage to cross that vast plain with my toothache and swollen legs. However, I suddenly saw a road ahead. Where to now? I asked. This way, he answered. We set out on that beautiful, wide, and neatly paved road, reminiscent of the verse from the book of Sirach. The way of sinners is smooth stones, and at their end are hell and darkness and pain. The road was lined on both sides with magnificent green hedges dotted with gorgeous flowers. Roses sprung everywhere through the leaves. At first glance, this road was level and comfortable, and I unsuspectingly ventured upon it. However, I soon noticed that it, almost imperceptibly, kept sloping downward. While it didn't look steep, I was moving so swiftly that I felt as if I was effortlessly airborne. I was really gliding and hardly using my feet. It suddenly dawned on me that the return trip would be very long and arduous, so I asked, How shall we get back to the oratory? Don't worry. The Lord Almighty wants you to go. Your guide will know how to lead you back, he answered. The road kept sloping downward. As we went on our way, flanked by roses and other flowers, I realized that I was being followed by the oratory boys and large crowds of others I had never met. I somehow found myself in their midst. Looking at them, I noticed how one or the other would drop to the ground and be dragged by an unseen force toward a scary, distant slope that descended into a furnace. What's making these boys fall? I asked. Take a closer look, he replied. I got closer and saw traps everywhere, reminding me of Psalm 139. Funes extenderunt in laquium, juxta iter scandalum posuerunt. They have spread cords for a net. By the wayside they have laid snares for me. Some were close to the ground, others at eye level, but all were well concealed. Many boys, unaware of the danger, got caught and tripped. They fell to the ground with their legs in the air, and as soon as they managed to get up, they ran straight down the road toward the abyss. Some got trapped by the head, others by the neck, hand, arms, legs, or sides, and were pulled down immediately. The ground traps were as fine as spiders' webs and barely visible. While seemingly very flimsy and harmless, every boy they caught fell to the ground. The guide, seeing my astonishment, asked, Do you know what this is? It's only some filmy fiber, I answered. He added, It's nothing but plain human respect. However, seeing many boys caught in those traps, I asked, Why do so many get caught in this net? Who's pulling them down? He responded, Get closer and you'll see. I watched a bit, 
and said, I don't see anything. Look closer, he insisted. I picked up one of the traps, pulled on it, and immediately felt some resistance. I pulled harder but felt I was being pulled down instead of drawing the thread closer. Unable to resist, I soon found myself at the entrance of a frightening cave. I stopped, unwilling to venture into that deep cavern, and started pulling the thread toward me once again. It only gave a little through a strenuous effort on my part. After much tugging, a huge and ugly monster appeared, clutching a rope to which all those traps were tied. It was he who instantly dragged down anyone getting caught in them. I said to myself, There is no way I can overcome this ugly monster. I'll certainly lose. I'd better fight him with the sign of the cross and ejaculations. As I went back to my guide, he said, Now you know who it is, don't you? For sure. It's the devil himself setting traps to drag my boys into hell. I carefully checked many traps and saw that each bore a title. Pride, disobedience, envy, sixth commandment, theft, gluttony, sloth, anger, and so on. I stepped back a bit to see which ones trapped the greater number of boys. I found that the most dangerous were impurity, disobedience, and pride, which indeed were linked together. Several other traps did great harm, but not as much as the first two. I kept watching and noticed that many boys ran faster than others. I asked, why so much haste? They are being dragged by the snare of human respect. Looking more closely, I saw knives scattered here and there among the traps. A providential hand put them there for souls to cut themselves free. The bigger knife was to be used against the trap of pride and symbolized meditation. Other knives, not quite as big, symbolized well-made spiritual reading. There were also two swords. One represented devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, especially through frequent Holy Communion, the other devotion to the Blessed Mother. There was also a hammer symbolizing confession. Other knives represented devotion to St. Joseph, St. Aloysius, and other saints. A good number of boys managed to break free or evade capture by these means. In fact, I saw lads walking safely through those traps, either by passing before the trap sprung on them or by making it slip off. A superficial soul might muse that these are just the dreams of a pious priest. I don't need to pay attention to them. I have the Ten Commandments, and besides, I go to Mass every week. Dear listener, these dreams of St. John Bosco are profound lessons in life that apply to all of us in one way or another. Please take heed of the sage parallels to our own life and correct any and all defects now while there's still time. This is the end of part one. Please subscribe so that you can hear part two of the dream on Wednesday. God bless you and Our Lady keep you.